You may be seated. Thank you. Good morning. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. How often do we quote that or how often does that come to mind when we're going through difficult circumstances? And yet, how do we reconcile with the verse before this that says, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Losing my life does not seem easy and light to me. And in the chapter right before this in Matthew, we see Jesus sending out his disciples with nothing. Don't take anything with you. And I'm sending you out as a sheep among wolves. Then we take a look at the sufferings of Paul. Paul says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concerns for the church. So on one hand, Jesus is saying, in this life you will have trouble. And we see the hardships and we see the sufferings of Paul and of his people. And yet Jesus is saying to me, come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Paul, who went through all of those things, is the one that says to to us in Philippians, don't be anxious about anything. To me, it sounds like there's some things to be anxious about. So what's all this mean? How do we reconcile these two things? Well, that's why we have to read the Bible as a whole. We can't just pick and choose things out of it. We need to read the whole Bible. We need to see it as the story of God. And we need to focus in enough so that we really see the character of God throughout Scripture. Jesus came and he did things a different way. He came with a powerful message of love. And it was revealed in forgiveness and in healing. He brought a whole new way of living. And the people around him didn't get it. They didn't understand. It's very clear as you look at scripture, his contemporaries, his disciples, and the religious leaders of the time did not see Father God the same way that Jesus did. So we shouldn't be surprised that we struggle with that from time to time. Actually, the religious leaders of the time were critical and outright defiant about how Jesus was talking about his Father God. They didn't get who Jesus was. That's why we hear them saying things like, look, a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus brought a new way of living, a way that was different, and they didn't get it. So how do we live this life in Christ? 
How do we reconcile this need to lose our lives with his burden is easy and light? I think we have to start by asking ourselves, what are our burdens? What are the burdens that we're carrying? We all have them. It's those things that keep going around in your mind. It's the things when you're quiet that cause you to have that deep sigh. (sighs) Which, by the way, as a therapist, deep breathing is really good for you. So if you do a sigh, go ahead and do three more and blow all the air out because your brain really needs the oxygen. So it's good to have deep breathing. But what are your burdens? What are you carrying right now? Some of the things that I'm carrying and and I see people around me carrying are these. One is the burden of expectations. That's when life isn't working out the way that we think it should. We seem to have this way of thinking that life should be like this. When Dr. Green, Chris, was with us a few weeks ago, um, I don't know what happened, but I said to him, I said, Chris, the world is just not the way I think it should be. And Chris said, if it was the way you think it should be, it would be much prettier. And I said, yes, it would. But we all seem to have these life expectations of this is how my life should be. And they're different. We all have different ones. Some of them are formed from our religious background, from the way that we were were raised. So it may be if I do everything right and I pray enough and I read my Bible enough and I don't have any major sins, then my life is going to go well. And I won't have any problems and my family won't have any problems. Some of those are cultural expectations. I tell parents of kids that have teenagers in South Tulsa, it's not a surprise that your kids want the latest clothes, a really nice car, and to be able to go on great vacations. Because they are living day in and day out with people who have those kinds of things. They expect it because that's their cultural norm. So don't yell at them for expecting to have something that they see everyone else around them has. Our responsibility as parents is to help them learn the value of money, to encourage them to get jobs and to actually pay for things themselves. So they find out, I have to work how many hours to pay for that shirt I really wanted to buy? And it's also our responsibility to expose them to the whole world and not just the culture that they're a part of. If they're volunteering at the food bank or emergency infant services, or if they're going on mission trips, if they're going to third world countries on mission trips instead of as a stop on their cruise ship, they begin to see other things in the world. It opens their eyes so that they see everything is not the area around me. And they see need in other parts of the world. I remember when our youngest went on a missions trip to Haiti, she came back and she was walking through our house and she was figuring out how many beds could fit in our house, how many bunk beds we could fit. And she said, Mom, in Haiti, our house would be an orphanage. It gives them a different perspective on the world and on life. But we all have expectations for how life should be. Maybe it's our family should always look good to everyone around us and have their approval. There's some performance stuff in there, too. There's also some people pleasing in there, but we won't go there. People should always treat me right or nice. 
I should have a nice house, a nice car. People I care about shouldn't get cancer or any other disease. My children should do well in school. The list can go on and on. And we find ourselves struggling with, if my expectations for my life are not being met, what's wrong? Why isn't God taking care of me? Or how can I make this work? It's a burden. It's the burden of our life expectations and how we think life should be. Going along with this is the burden of things that are beyond our control. We carry this weight of these things that get in our way, but we have absolutely no control over them. Brent and I have a joke between us. We were, we were in South Tulsa. We were sitting at one of the major intersections with all the different lights, and we were in the left turn lane waiting for the arrow. And you know how you sit there and you watch, and this turns and this turns and this turns, and you're waiting. And Brent said, ah, this is the longest light on the planet. And then when it got to our time, when our light was supposed to turn, it didn't turn. It skipped us for some reason. Absolutely no sense. And we had to sit and watch all the cars go through over and over again until it was time for our light. So now we just make a joke of it. And whenever we're sitting at a long light, we go, no, I think this is the longest light on the planet. Sometimes we'll say, I don't know, maybe in Thailand there's one that's a little bit longer. But they're not in our control. We don't want things to get in our way. And we don't want things out of our control. That's a little thing. Sometimes it's really big things, like wanting children or wanting grandchildren. For some of us, we have no control over that. Not really. We struggled with a time of infertility and miscarriages. And gosh, at the time, it seemed like our friends were like popping out babies like toast. We were... (laughs) We were trying. We wanted babies. And they were having them so easily. And we call them unexpected blessings at our house. They were having unexpected blessings over and over again. And, and then they'd be upset about it. Oh, another baby. We finally started joking among our friends going, birth control? Who has control? We have no control in this whatsoever. But those things were out of our control. No matter what we did, they were out of our control. What about retirement? You know, we can do the things that we think are wise. We can invest. We can save. We can get good counsel, advice from all kinds of people. But it's still a risk. You can invest very well and gain and lose it. And for some of us, gain and lose it several times. We don't have control over that. And then if we try to be safe and go, well, I'm just going to put it in the bank, then we're worried about well, could I have made more if I'd done something else? There's risk in everything that we do, and we don't have control over those things. Or what about health? My sister is dealing with metastasized breast cancer, and on the 30th, I did really well with this when I was practicing. On the 30th, she had her second brain surgery. She's had multiple other surgeries, including having her shoulder replaced twice due to cancer a rod put in her leg due to a bone that broke due to cancer. She has regular chemo, and she has had radiation over almost all of her body at different times.
this surgery she's not doing as well as they expected her to. And I have no control over it whatsoever. There's some things that are out of our control. Some of you have student loans, and it seemed right at the time. There was talk of, well, if you pay so long, then they're going to forgive the loans eventually, so go ahead and take it out. And so it seemed like the right thing at the time. But now it's uncertain. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. It's out of your control. Is your company going to be bought out? Is there going to be a merger? It's out of our control. The highest anxiety that we have in life is from situations that we have no control over whatsoever. Our burdens often come from taking on something that's not ours to carry. Maybe you have the burden of, I need to help fix my family. It's my responsibility that this person really knows this or that I help this person out of this problem. No, every adult is responsible for their own life and for their own decisions. We can encourage them. We can give them advice. But ultimately, everybody has their own life to live. And we have to let them suffer the consequences of their actions in order for them to learn and to grow. That's not being mean. That's helping them learn and grow what they need to learn. Brent and I do things on parenting, and one of the things I'm hearing lately from parents is they're afraid to be affirming and encouraging of their kids too much because they're afraid of them becoming entitled. They're seeing so many people that are entitled. It's like, well, I don't want them to think too highly of themselves. People don't get entitled from being loved and valued and appreciated. People get entitled when they don't have the consequences of their actions or the consequences of their choices. So if you're a parent and you are staying up at night doing a project for your child while they're sleeping because they procrastinated on it, or if you have that teen that got a speeding ticket and you're going ahead and paying for it, with no consequence to them, where they don't have to pay for it, that's how people get enabled. We need to allow people around us to get the chance to grow and to learn from their actions. Maybe you don't feel the inclination to be over-responsible, but you have family members that think you should be responsible for something. And so they're saying, you really should help your brother with this and this and this. Or... Why won't you help me with this? We have to look at what is my responsibility and what is theirs. Now, I'm not talking about genuine need. I'm not talking about crisis circumstances or people that aren't able to get ahead on their own that really need help. We are called to bear each other's burdens. That's part of the role as the body of Christ. But we're not called to handle the responsibilities of daily living that aren't ours. We have to discern in each circumstance, am I helping or am I enabling in this situation? We have to get the wisdom of the Lord. Some of our burdens are from things that we think are God burdens, but they're really burdens that we put on ourselves. 
many years ago, I was women's chaplain at ORU, and at the time, I had a toddler. Um, I was working all day in the office counseling students, and then I would go up in the dorm at night, and I would do devotions with the girls, or I would go up and um, deal with an emergency situation. And my husband was pastor of a large church that had so many services a week. And so I would be at as many of those services as as I could possibly be at. And then on my lunch hour, I was running five miles a day. And I remember one time coming back from my run and going to my office and just going, I can't do all of this. This is too much. Lord, why are you expecting all this of me? This is too much for me to do. And I remember so sweetly hearing his voice saying, I didn't call you to do all of this. Your expectations for yourself are higher than mine. Sometimes we put things on us and we say it's God, but really is more of our expectations of ourselves. So what are those burdens that you're taking on that aren't yours to carry? I think right now the culture is laying some burdens on us. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like everywhere I go, whether it's lunch with a friend, a casual event, a work situation, a big party, whatever it is, I feel like I'm faced with people saying, so what do you think about this? Are you taking a stand on this? There's so much changing in our world right now. There's so many things that are going on. And it seems like people either want us to be appalled by something or they want us to draw a line or take a stand or give me a two-sentence response to this particular thing. And I want to say, ah, I don't know. I can't give you a 15-word or 50-word or 1,500-word response. Things are complicated in our world right now. And there's so much nuance in the issues that we are faced And I spend my day dealing with real people that have very messy lives. It's hard to put that in a box. So I'm seeking God. I seek God continually for what is your wisdom. I need clarity in this situation. What do I do in this situation? But I do know above anything else, I'm called now and I'm always called to love people. Our job is to love people with the love of Christ and to do the things that he's called us to do. All of this, what do you think about this and what do you think about this, reminds me of when I was in college and I had a good friend on my floor and she was a head chaplain. She was very spiritual. And I was the RA and we both, there's no way we could study at night because kids were always coming in asking us questions. So both of us got up at 5 or 5.30 in the morning, and we did our studying before anybody else got up. So we'd be sitting in the hall together doing our studying. Well, I remember one morning, I'd just woken up, and I walked into the bathroom, and Melody walked in right behind me, and she put her hand on my shoulder, and she said, obviously she'd been spending time with the Lord that morning, she said, Janice, what is a wilderness? Really? What is a wilderness in our life with God? And I looked at her and I went, Melody, I just want to brush my teeth. (laughs) Sometimes we just want to do whatever God has called us to do. We do the thing that he has put in front of us right now in obedience to him. 
But all of this stuff that I'm talking about, all of this, it's part of being an adult, right? It's part of being a responsible adult. Or the new phrase is adulting. I love all the new t-shirts and hats and plaques that say, I can't adult today. Do you ever feel that way? I just can't adult today. Funny because there's some truth in that. Maybe our stress, maybe these overwhelming, paralyzing burdens that we're carrying come from adulting too much. Jesus says in Matthew 18, it's, he called a little child to him, placed the child among him, and he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We have to see ourselves in humility as children. That's the only way we're going to really have peace. We are our father's children. We have to trust the heart of the father, trusting that not only will he provide for us and take care of us materially, but he'll care for everything in our lives and that he's going to give us the direction that we need He's going to tell us the things that we need to do, that he's called us to do. And he will help us carry that load. He'll give us the words we need to speak. There's a sharp contrast between how Jesus related to Father God and how the religious leaders of the time related to Father God. Jesus saw him as loving and good and safe. The religious leader saw him as a taskmaster that had to be appeased, that was demanding of them. All of this can fall into a business relationship with God. We can all get there, where we tend to relate to God as our boss instead of as our father. That place where we go, oh no, what if I have a performance review coming up? Am I going to get in trouble? And we stop and we go, oh wait, okay. Um, I did the daily office a bunch this week, like sometimes morning and night. I read a Richard Rohr book. I even Googled some C.S. Lewis quotes this week. So I think my performance review should be really good. But God doesn't want to be our boss. He wants to be our father, and he wants us to come to him as children. Becoming like a child is living in the moment. It's trusting without fear of the future. We had a staff lunch last week, and little Nora Pano, Paul's daughter, was there. And she was all there. She was interacting. She was making faces. I was laughing so hard. She was living right there, eating her pizza. And she was open, and she was sweet, and she was trusting. Because she knew her dad was sitting right beside her. Our Father is right beside us all the time. And as much as we would like him to give us the plan for our lives, the plan for the next 5, 10, 50 years for me, my friends, and the rest of the world, there's some things we just don't need to know right now. Some things are not good for us to know. We have to trust the Father. 
Corey Ten Boom wrote a book called The Hiding Place, and it was about, it was a true story, it was about her family during the Holocaust, and they actually hid Jews and protected people in their homes, and then eventually they were arrested, and they went into a concentration camp, and most of them did not survive. Corey was a little girl, and so in the midst of this, she was asking her father, she was worried, and she was like, Daddy, when are you going to die? Are you going to die? And her, her father said, Corey, when you and I go to Amsterdam, when do I give you your ticket? Why, just before we get on the train. Exactly. And our wise father in heaven knows when we're going to need things too. Don't run out ahead of him, Corey. Papa will give you what you need when you need it. We are his children. He will give us what we need when we need it. One of my favorite scriptures is in Second Peter, and it's his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. We can trust him to take care of us. Jesus said, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? This is so counterintuitive to us because we are responsible adults. And we just need a plan. In fact, give me a situation, I can give you plan A, B, C, and D. And if you give me enough time, I can all go all the way to plan Z. I have an extra pair of shoes in my purse in case these become uncomfortable. I have planned ahead. So this is contrary to our thinking. And it was contrary to the people in Jesus' time as well. In all of Jewish history for centuries, the writings had spoken so highly of seeking wisdom, that God gave wisdom to the people who feared him, and that if you could study the Torah, study the the law long enough and hard enough and look for all of these little nuances of meaning, that eventually you could possibly know God. But for the average Jew to expect that, That was about as likely as me leaving here and landing a jet fighter onto an aircraft carrier. It was out of reach. It was not something they could get to. But Jesus cut through all of this with one stroke. He simply says, you just need to be like a little child. You have to trust, depend on your father, and get to know your father just the way a child knows his dad. Not by reading a bunch of deep scholarly books about your dad or following all the rules to the T, but by living in his presence, by watching him, by seeing what he's doing, listening to his voice and learning from him. It's just the way that an apprentice learns from his master. He walks alongside and he sees what the master does. And that's how he learns. I tell people with parenting, you know, we always say more is caught than taught. So the good news or the bad news is your children are watching you all the time, and they are going to imitate you. We watch our father. 
Jesus saw that the wise and the learned people weren't really getting anywhere understanding all of this. It was the simple folks, the poor, the sinners, the tax collectors that were discovering more about God by following and imitating Jesus. Jesus was and is a window that we can look through to see Father God. John says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Colossians, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. How do we know the Father? How do we know what he's like? We look at Jesus. So in today's reading, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest from all your pursuing, from your attempts to control your circumstances and people, from striving for those shoulds that you have in your life, for all your moral efforts to be good, for stressing yourself out to try to find peace and find security. So does that mean that following Jesus is simple and easy? Doesn't he say we need to be willing to leave our family and our possessions behind? Doesn't he say that in this world we will have trouble? Yes. Yes, he does. And we will. We will struggle with things. But when we follow him rightly, when we follow him as a father, as a child follows his father, he gives us the grace that we need in every circumstance that we encounter. And he has the responsibility for how things are going to work out. So that means I don't have to carry my family, my future, and the entire state of the world on my shoulders. That's his job. I just listen to what he's telling me to do, and I follow him wherever he leads me, whatever he's called me to do, and I trust him. His grace will be sufficient for anything that I encounter. That's the yoke that he's called us to bear, and he makes, us, makes it to fit us. He knows what's right for us. He calls us to things, and then he makes the perfect yoke to fit us. And it is easier, and it is light, and it can bring joy. He leads us with gentleness and warmth. He says, I am gentle and humble in heart. He doesn't stand over us like a slave driver. But to all of us who are burdened down, all of these things, moral, physical, emotional, financial, whatever our burdens are, he says, come to me, I'll give you rest but you must become like a child. In the mental health field right now, there's a concept that they call mindfulness. I'm going to explain it briefly so any of you therapists out there do not judge me. Um, Mindfulness, in my mind, is being present where you are right now and focusing on the good of where you are. Being grateful for what's happening right now, for the fact that we have air conditioning, for the fact that we're comfortable, but not allowing our brains to go off in these other directions and start thinking about plan A, B, C, and D. We need to be like Nora. Enjoy the day. Enjoy the pizza. And don't worry about what comes next because Dad is there, and he has it under control. 
I think with all of the things the Apostle Paul went through, all his struggles and all of his hardships, he learned to be present where he was and to find good in it. Paul's life was very far from perfect. Yet he knew that God's grace was sufficient for everything that he was going through. He had a deeper trust And so he could learn how to be content in all circumstances. He knew his father. We have a study upstairs in our house, and it's Brent in my favorite room. It's a little tiny room, but it's at the top of our stairs. And and we go in, and over the door frame, and you have to be in the room to see it, but over the door frame we have the scripture that says, Be still and know that I am God. I want to encourage you to stop. Slow down. Have some time of quiet. And be where you are right now. Don't get ahead. Don't go into those what ifs. Don't make all of your plans. Be as a child. Trust God with what he's doing in in your life and what he's going to do in the future. Trust him. He's good Listen to him. He will guide you in the way that you need to go. He is your good, good father.